We're just going to continue this week in our series. We've been looking at the life of Joseph and how he's a role model for the church, for what God wants to do and develop in our lives. And I, I think I might have mentioned just the topic really briefly in, in some of the past messages, but I wanted to look at how Joseph received the blessing and the promise of the firstborn. Now, the thing about Joseph is that he wasn't the firstborn, right? He was the 11th born. But, uh, you know, Reuben was the firstborn, but he lost that birthright because of how he lived, the choices he made. And instead, it was given to Joseph, who walked with God. And, you know, as we've been looking at, at his story, um, but before we get into the aspect of what that, uh, of the, those aspects of the story, we have to consider, well, what is the firstborn? What does it mean and why is that significant to us? Right? Why do we even want to look at what, you know, whether we're firstborn in a family or 11th born or 12th born, if you're in a big family. But, you know, basically in, in the scriptures, the firstborn was the one who received you know, another term would be called the birthright. And what that was, was it was the designation of the responsibility and the leadership in the family. It was the patriarch. So if, if Abraham was still alive, for example, Isaac would be designated the firstborn. He would receive the, the promise or the birthright of being the firstborn, the head of the family, because he was the son of promise. <sighs> Um, even though Abraham had, had other sons. In fact, there he had other sons that were born before Isaac, but Isaac received the birthright, the promise. And then he would be the patriarch. But he was also responsible for the care of the family. He took on the burden and the responsibility of his family members. Uh, it would have fallen upon his shoulders once his father Abraham died, you know, we can actually see a picture of this in the high priest, right? The high priest, if you ever saw a, an illustration of his garments, he had the breastplate, but he also had these shoulder plates and on them were representations of each, each of the tribes. And, he, and it was like the high priest bore the burden of those tribes upon him on his heart and on his shoulders. And it's that thought that um, or it's the concept that he bore the burden on his shoulders, I should say. Uh, and so, you know, that's a type of Christ who bore the burden of our sin, you know, through his sacrifice. But also that we're called to bear one another's burdens, that God wants us to be involved in that. You know, maybe it could be the weight of a responsibility in a family, uh, or in a ministry or a certain responsibility or something God lays on your heart to do. And that's your burden that God's asking you to bear in following him. You know, it, it could even be for the souls of someone God's put on your heart to intercede for. There's this story we shared in, uh, in our Bible study. We we're looking at the topic of the hope of the Christian. And we shared a story about Daniel Nash. Remember, he was... Uh, uh, he was associated with the revivalist Charles Finney. And Charles Finney had these powerful revival meetings up in the Northeast and 
New York and so forth. And, uh, you know, there was the demonstration of the spirit of God and power and whole towns would would just, you know, come and, and yield to God and respond to, to the Lord. But what wasn't seen as much was that before Charles Finney would come to town, a man named Daniel Nash would come. It was his associate. And he wouldn't have large meetings. Instead, he would get a room and he would pray. And he would intercede and he'd cry out, Lord, move in this town. He was preparing the way and praying for souls and crying out that they would come to salvation. And, you know, he was praying for the community. He was warring in prayer. Someone gave him the name. I think they wrote a book about him, gave him the name, the prevailing prince of prayer. I don't know what he, he would have thought about that name himself, uh, but he was definitely mighty in prayer. And that was the burden God put upon him that he had to carry in that sense of, of you know, the ministry of crying out in prayer for others. God put that burden upon his shoulders and he had to lift that up in prayer to God. And, and, and so there's that aspect of the birthright, you know, a firstborn that we as believers can enter into is, the, is carrying our God-ordained burden that he has for us. Now, we are called in that sense. We're looking at this, for, this idea of the firstborn because of what Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 29. You know, as New Testament Christians, we're called to this place. Uh, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You know, we're called to walk in that same way of Christ, to be conformed into his image. He was the firstborn, and we're called to walk in that same calling, in that same way. There's a lot more we could get into, into that. We looked at, at that in the hope of the Christian, but our calling is to be conformed into the image of the Son of God, kind of like his image being stamped or, or represented, reproduced in our lives, right, of his, so that we're changed and transformed to be like him and display his character, his qualities, his love, his compassion, his endurance, temperance, self-control, all those lovely qualities that the scriptures speak about that he displays, God wants to put within us. And when that takes place, we're following him in that pathway of being called the firstborn among many to take up that responsibility and bear that burden of following the lamb wherever he would lead us. Now, the Levites are also another picture to us. You know, God reserved a whole tribe out of Israel as you could term it as his firstborn. They cared for and they ministered for the rest of of the tribes before the Lord. And the Lord, this is spoken of in Numbers chapter 3, verse 12. And it says, Now I myself, this is the Lord speaking, have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn. All right, the firstborn is the Lord's. But he said, well, I'm going to choose Levi because they stood for me when others did not. That, that's another quality of the firstborn. Uh, and so instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children, therefore the Levite shall be mine. They, because all the firstborn are mine. Another quality of the firstborn. 
We are his. And, and he, in that sense, is ours because we're walking with him and he's working. His image is being worked in us. All the firstborn are mine. And on that day, I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And so the Levites belong to the Lord, a tribe eternally joined to the Lord in the place of the firstborn. They didn't receive a natural inheritance in Israel. It says God was their inheritance. All the other tribes could have some nice land, you know, and uh, plant fields and vineyards. Levites didn't have that. They, they received houses in that, but it wasn't their inheritance. God was their inheritance. And that's a picture to us of New Testament believers, right? We can, you know, we can live a nice life as Christians on this earth and have a, have a pleasant life, but there's a calling to go on with him so that in this life, our eyes aren't on what we can, you know, a pleasant life on this earth, but what we can receive in Christ of what he wants to do in us and through us. It also says this in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10. And it says, At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Israel to bear the ark. I thought that was interesting. That was their burden, to bear the ark of the covenant before the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him and to bless his name to this day. And so the Levites are a type of, of, a, of a believer, of a Christian, in the sense that our calling is to minister unto the Lord, right? Not just to be ministered to. And that happens, you know, when we first come to the Lord, we're in that place where we need to be ministered to. We're little, little children in Christ and we need to receive instruction and receive love and correction and guidance. But as we grow and mature, right? No, no parent just wants to give, give, give. At some point you expect Hey, they're going to grow up and I can have a normal relationship. And, you know, it's, it's a giving and, and taking of a normal relationship. And that's God's desire that we give to him glory and praise, that our life becomes a pleasing sacrifice, which is our reasonable service, as Paul says. But I thought it was interesting. Our calling as, as New Testament priests is to bear the ark. We're to bear the presence of God wherever we go. We're to live in the presence of God. We're to walk in holiness and reverence of the presence of God. You know, it's, it's easy as a Christian to take things lightly, right? To take things for granted for what God's done for us. But our call, calling is to respect it, to appreciate it, to love it, to value it, to love his presence. Because our calling is to carry his presence out to wherever we go that people will experience the presence of God. You know, our calling is not just to, you know, tell people about Jesus, but our calling is to allow people to experience Jesus through our lives, through his presence upon us as we walk with God and we're transformed into his image. But this concept of, the, of a birthright, what's interesting is, you know, actually a lot of the examples of the patriarchs, um, they weren't always the firstborn. In fact, I think the majority were not the firstborn uh, in the sense of the first son born in the line. And sometimes they weren't even, you know, like Joseph, he's the 11th. 
What happened with the, the firstborn not receiving the promise? Well, the birthright was not something guaranteed. It was something that could be lost or given up uh, just because you were the natural candidate, because you were the firstborn, did not mean you were guaranteed that. Right? You, when you think about it, it should have been a succession for, to Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. But we know Esau didn't get it because he despised his birthright. He, he, he valued it so little that when he was really hungry one day and Jacob said, hey, look, I've got some nice pottage. And Esau said, please, I'm dying of, of hunger. He said, well, sell me your birthright. I, I wonder if he said it jokingly thinking, is he going to, will he do it? And Esau said, well, sure. What does it matter if I die today? What, what good does my birthright do? God did not take that very well because it was something that was holy. And so the birthright, instead of going to Esau, it went to Jacob. Now, Jacob kind of did some deceitful things, and that had to be worked out in him, but, but yet Esau lost the birthright. But even with Jacob, right, it should have gone to Reuben. Right? It should have been Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Reuben. But Reuben did not gain the birthright. Instead, it went to Joseph and his sons, and so... You know, it could be given up. Esau sold it. Reuben forfeited the birthright. Let's consider Reuben for just a moment because Jacob said something really significant about him. In Genesis 49.3, it said, and this is at the end of his life, Jacob is, is basically speaking prophetically over all his sons and talking about the promises given to them and so forth. So it says, Jacob is talking about Reuben and he says, Reuben, you're my firstborn. In the natural, he was born first. He should have been the firstborn son, his might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. That's, that was his calling, right? We're all called, but yet what matters is how we walk. That's how, you know, Reuben's calling is verse three. How he walked is verse four. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence or the birthright. Because you went up to my, your father's bed and you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And so Reuben received the blessing or should have received the blessing and the responsibility. But instead, he let iniquity come into his life and affect that outcome. You know, it was Reuben that walked in that way. And instead of bringing glory to the, to the name of his father, he brought shame because it was openly known that you know, Reuben defiled uh, his father's bed. And so, you know, that, that's kind of a, a message for us. Reuben lost the preeminence and the birthright, and it went to Joseph. Uh, it's a message because the Heavenly Father is looking for those whose lives will bring glory to him, will honor him, because we were created to bring him pleasure. Right? Sin brings dishonor to God, but he's so great, he's so good that he cleanses and washes away sin. But if we allow sin to just keep remaining and remaining and not letting God do that work, that has consequences, as we see in Reuben. We read on further in Jacob's last prophetic words to, to about Joseph. It says this 
in Genesis 49, verse 25, it says, but the God of your father who will help you by the almighty who will bless you with, with the blessings of heaven above, the blessing of, of the deep that lies beneath, the blessings of the breast and of the womb. Verse 26, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be upon the head of Joseph and the crown of his head of him who was separate from his brothers. And so the blessing came upon the head of Joseph and his sons. But we know that blessing came not because he was next in line, right? He wasn't, he was 11th in line, but it was because of how he walked and what he allowed God to do in his life. And, you know, we've been bringing out those things in this series, but something that was kind of quickened to me in this that I think is very significant that Jacob said, verse 26, it said, the blessing would be upon the head of Joseph who was separate from his brothers, right? Joseph was separated and he walked a separate path than his brothers. And so that's how Joseph was prepared to rule. You know, this thought of separation is, is kind of a vital aspect of going on and walking with God. You know, we can see this in the tabernacle of Moses. We talked about little children, right? And John talks about there's three t- different levels of spiritual maturity in, in believers, little children, young men and women, fathers and mothers in Christ. But we can relate that to the tabernacle of Moses. The outer court speaks of the little children. The holy place speaks of young men and women. Most holy place. The holy of holy speaks of fathers and mothers in Christ. Well, the largest section is the, the outer court. There's a crowd in there. If you can think of how many people could you fit in the outer court, probably hundreds because it was such a big space. But those who go on to know the Lord... So it talks about in Hosea 6. It represents a group that goes on in the experiences that are represented in the tabernacle. But where do they go? Well, they have to separate themselves and go on into a smaller place. You know, I was actually, you know, looking at, well, it's a number of cubits. It's 20 cubits by 10 cubits in the holy place, which represents about 30 feet by 15 feet. You could fit a decent number of people in a 30-foot tent, but... It's not the same as the outer court. And so there's a, there's a matter of separation, and it's even smaller in the Holy of Holies. And so there's that thought, if we're going to go on with the Lord, there's a, there's a separation that takes place. God's going to do different things in our lives than in, you know, before, than we were experiencing before. There's things we leave behind with the multitude that God wants to meet with us as we walk with him and you know, in the, in the holy place, there's feeding on the, t- on the table of showbread, which speaks of the word of God beginning to be written upon the tables of our heart. The candlestick, the anointing of the seven spirits of God being worked in our lives. The altar of incense, a life of prayer and intercession. Each of those pieces of furniture, in a sense, requires separation of God working within us. Separation from our past ways our past vision, our, our satisfactions, and so forth. And, but then we're joined unto God in a new way. Now, there's, there's a group that's described in Scripture that I often wondered, what was their purpose? Did you ever read about the Nazarites? 
in, in the Old Testament and wonder, wonder what they were about, like what function they served in the scriptures. Well, really, they were made up of regular Israelites who made a vow to, set, to be set apart for God, to live for God. And they did that in some practical ways. Um, and it says that in, in number six and verse two, the Lord said, speak to the children of Israel and said, when a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite and separate himself to the Lord, he'll separate himself from wine and drink. Um, and so he won't drink wine uh, and he won't drink grape juice. He won't even eat grapes or raisins. Right? And so there was a noticeable difference. Uh, the Nazarite was to be different in what he ate and drank or um, even the source of that was to be avoided. They weren't to cut their hair or come near dead bodies or anything unclean. But the purpose is described in number six and verse eight. All the days of his separation, he will be holy unto the Lord. And that's what a Nazarite was about. It was someone who progressed from just honoring the laws of God, right? That's righteousness, to respecting God's law and obeying it personally unto holiness of being separated, but then joined unto God, right? That's the difference between Lot and Abraham. Lot was a righteous man, but he wasn't separated from sin. He lived right in the middle of it and was content to do that, and it destroyed his family. But the Nazarites are those who say, Lord, I want to live a holy life. I want to live for you. I want to be joined with you, and so I'm going to separate myself from anything that will prevent me from being joined unto a holy God. So they were a symbol of holiness. They were called to make a difference between the clean and the unclean, not just what is sin, but what would, you know, they wanted to be joined unto what would bring spiritual life and avoid, be separate from what would take that spiritual life from them, what would steal it. One last thought I just want to consider here in closing is in our calling to come into that place of the firstborn, there's something, there's another concept that the scripture talks about. And is that the, the firstborn was to receive a double portion. The firstborn received one extra portion above his brethren. So if there were four sons and the and they were gonna all gonna receive a portion of their father's inheritance, instead of being divided four ways, it would be divided five ways, and the firstborn would get two of those portions. And so they would receive the double. But it was given to them to care for the family because they were now responsible. If something happened in the family, it was the responsibility of the firstborn to care for the others. You know, Uncle Esau despised uh, the birthright and that thought of the double portion, but Joseph paid a terrible price to receive the double portion. And he received double for his affliction that he experienced. That's what God said to Job, you know, for what you have experienced, you will receive double. We can see this picture of the double portion back in the tabernacle at the table of showbread. 
there's a little verse that kind of speaks to us that, that's in Leviticus 24 and verse 5. It's something about the bread. It's that the bread was to be made with two-tenths or two measures of flour in each loaf of bread. Right? And so that, that kind of speaks to us how we can receive a double measure, a double portion, is feeding upon his word, living for it, walking in it, allowing his word to change us, being written upon the fleshly tables of our heart. That's the basis anyway, the foundation of receiving the double portion. We also see it in Israel and, you know, in the manna. So they had to go out every morning and gather the manna. But one morning they had to go out and gather double, right? And that was before the Sabbath, right? So they would gather double. And, and that that's kind of speaks to us. God wants us there's to gather, to receive the double for him. You know, we can kind of, we can remember that story of Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah was going to go to heaven, he, taught, he said to his servant, what blessing would you like? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of the mantle that's upon you, the anointing, the presence of God, the power of God. I want double to come upon me. And Elijah said, are you sure you want that? You know what, what that means, what kind of life you're going to live, you know, how you're going to have to follow God and walk with him and, and so forth. And he said, yes, I want it. And then, you know, he received it. And then the scriptures show him performing double the amount of miracles, at least that, that are recorded uh, as his master Elijah. But he did it in very difficult times. And so he was anointed with a double portion. And there's a beautiful message there for us in the table of showbread that he wants for us, that he's calling us to be the firstborn among many. And it's not that, you know, one Christian could say, I'm better than everyone else because I'm firstborn. That's not how it works. But it's, it's the fact that Jesus is calling and he's saying, who is willing to become bread that's broken so that others can receive life? It shows us that we are to be those who eat Christ, eat his word, receive life from him, have his message worked into our lives so that when people look at our lives, they don't see us. They see Jesus. And he'll give us the double portion for that to take place. And so Joseph was the firstborn among his brethren. And God is putting out his call for those who will be joined unto him in his holy mountain. As it says in Hebrews, the church of the firstborn. That's what he's calling us to. It will take a time of separation because we're called unto holiness. It'll take a work because he wants to prepare us to bear the weight of the burden. You know, I didn't mention it. I mentioned it elsewhere in my notes. I kind of skipped over, but, you know, we're called to be pillars in the temple of our God. That's one of his promises to us that we can enter into. But pillars, what their main purpose is to bear a lot of weight. And God wants to make us pillars that can bear the weight of the burden he would place upon us in his kingdom, of whatever that might be. But to be bearers of that weight, he'll give us the double portion. 
of his presence, of his word, of his anointing, his strength, his power. He wants to anoint us to minister unto him and to care for his people. Father, we just thank you for this example that we see in the life of Joseph, Lord. And we want, Lord, our hearts cry is that we could be those who would go on to know you. Lord, who would go on to know you and experience, Lord, your life and your power. Lord, as we've seen you in the sanctuary moving, Lord, we want to go on to know you in the holy place and to go through the veil and to know your presence in that most holy place. Oh God, would you just meet with us and work within us? Lord, that this would take place, we ask and we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.